Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartlidgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Verse 1 says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith. That was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change, uh, chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. That's where they are. They serve as examples. All of those just mentioned from verse 5 onwards serve as examples of those who will suffer the punishment of eternal fire. If we abandon our love of Jesus Christ, if we abandon our faith, if we walk away from Jesus, these, this is what happens. That is what happens. One saint always saved his lies, none of the scriptures. Who knows that now? In the very same way, this is where we're up to. Yes, Jude 8. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies. I like how they said these dreamers. You know, when you, when you look at the theories of evolution, you know, and what these dreamers are dreaming up to replace God. I know this video I was watching last night that they asked a, uh, an evolutionist, an evolutionary biologist, said, okay, how did we all get here? What happened? And he, he started rambling on and said, we came on the back of crystals. And he goes, crystal, on the back of crystals. That, I don't know what that means. On the back of crystals. Anyway, so he said, so, an intelligent designer who created all the things isn't a viable option to you for the origin of life. But 
coming on the back of crystals is. Or we all came out of mud, primordial soup. We all popped into existence. That sounds more viable to them than an intelligent designer who creates the elaborate design and the creation that we see. And any scientist will tell you we are incredibly designed creatures because we, we are elaborate. We have DNA codes, with, which is the most incredible language on the face of the earth. So these dreamers, they're polluting the world with their dreams of, of a hope. It's, it's a pipe dream, really. They hope God doesn't exist. They really do. Because if he exists, they're in big trouble. And they know it. Because they don't want to repent. They don't want to stop doing the sort of life or living the life that they live. They don't want to stop that lifestyle. So the Bible says these dreamers, in the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies. How? They're sexually immoral. They reject authority and slander celestial beings. Who's heard Richard Dawkins slander God? Who, who read that uh, part of the God delusion where he calls God the worst list of names that you can imagine? He went through and he, he, he slandered a God and he's going to one day have to stand before and he's hoping desperately that his dream of there being no God is true. But one day he's going to wake up from his dream and realize God is true. And then he's going to, in that moment, his mind's going to expand and he's going to look at the evidence surrounding him and he's going to say to himself, why did I squash it down? Why did I hold back that evidence? Why did I reject it when it was so clear to me and I kept on squashing it down? I kept on searing my conscience with a hot iron. I kept on going, no, 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 he doesn't, he doesn't exist. DNA is random. DNA is random, I'll say. Just happens by random chance. But who knows that information that is sequenced in a way to create life could not happen by random chance. Do you know what I'm saying? It's too complex. There's too many variables. And one variable out of place, it doesn't work. But they say they would rather believe in random chance, which that is the most random thing that they could possibly have. There's pretty well no chance that it could be random chance. But there's every chance that it would be a perfectly intelligent designer, one who designed it by his mighty power and knowledge of things that we couldn't comprehend that he has knowledge of. As I said to Anthony yesterday, you know, man goes you know, through their science, they discover the law of gravity. And actually, Isaiah Newton gave glory to God when he discovered the law of gravity, right? But then I think because we know the law of gravity, we don't need God to, because we know how gravity is, or we've got the law for it. But you know what? Does that law make gravity work? Could we, you know, create a universe using that law? We couldn't, could we? The law is just a mathematical formula. It has no power. It just describes something that is actually taking place in the natural world that we can observe, right? But just because we discovered that doesn't mean God doesn't exist. It just proves that there is a law set in place by a lawgiver. 
That's all it proves. Wherever there's a law, there has to be a lawgiver. And that lawgiver not only gave the law to make gravity work, he actually created the matter and put it into a certain spin or whatever he did, you know, and made it a planet that has gravity. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Right? These dreamers will try to deny a God who has power to make the laws work. Because these mathematical equations prove nothing that there is a or isn't a God. But they try to use that as well. We've science is beyond religion now. Come on, man. Science is evidence that God exists, really, or should be. It should be evidence. Now, I, I want you all to watch a video. It's called um, Expelled. No intelligence. Uh, expelled. No intelligence. Allowed. No intelligence allowed. It's a great video. And um, who's the name of that guy, John? Can you remember the guy who is the journalist? Ben Stein. Ben Stein with the. And he, he does wonderful work as a journalist. And you must watch it. I've sent. I've sent you the link. Um, and what he, he goes through and it shows that anyone in the scientific community, because the atheistic view of Darwinism and, and all that and naturalism has got such a hold now on the scientific community, they will not allow anyone who will come in and say Darwin um, or question Darwinism. The question of Darwinism is not allowed any longer. And there's all these uh, intelligent design exponents, or not even those that would give ear to intelligent design arguments are getting expelled from the scientific community and not allowed to practice science anymore. This is an evidence that, that something really bad is taking place on this planet and science itself is no longer practicing science in, that, in certain areas. Darwinism should be up for debate. It should be up for questioning. It should have to be verified to be proven true. And if there's someone that can say, hang on, no, I don't think so. I think there's more evidence for a creator than there is for, for chance and natural selection. If there's someone who, who is a qualified, intelligent scientist who would question that, there should be no reason why that shouldn't be allowed. But they're actually, they're silencing them. They're trying to silence and stop the intelligent design argument. Which really, there's two views. It either happened by chance or it happened by God. But they're trying to squash it by saying, oh, that's a religious viewpoint. No, it's not. The evidence lends itself to there being a creator. It's a lot of intelligent design people Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but they do believe that there has to be a God. Like, like Einstein was a religious man. Einstein uh, wasn't even a Christian. But he did believe there had to be a creator. Yeah, there had to be an intelligence behind it. And don't let anyone try to tell you that Einstein was an atheist because he's got many statements where he uh, flatly denied being an atheist and said, I can't stand how people call me an atheist. Because I believe there has to be a creator behind this. Because he was smart enough to tell all of this, you know, um, order in the universe. You know, it couldn't happen randomly. It had to happen with a, someone who gave it order. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, that's what he was. That's why he believed in the creator. Anyway, I've gone off topic a fair, a fair way. Let's, let's have a look at this again. So Judaism. 
In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, they reject authority, and slander celestial beings. And that is a crazy thing to do, to assume that there are no such thing as celestial beings and slander them if there was. That's who Peter 2.10 said, This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. I better go back on that. Let's go back to verse 4. I want to read a bit of this. For if God did not spare his angels, everyone there? For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials to, and to hold them, the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. See, those men and women today who despise authority and follow the corrupt desire of their sinful nature will be held for the day of judgment and they will receive and their inheritance will be eternal condemnation. It doesn't matter whether you call yourself a Christian, doesn't matter whether you say, I believe in Jesus. If you follow the desires of the sinful nature and you live according to that sinful nature, that's your inheritance. And the reason we know that is because we've got plenty of examples throughout the Bible. We're going to look at an example in uh, Numbers 16 of that. Um, I might even take you there right now. Let's go there. Numbers, go back to the start of the Bible. And we've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And I want you to go to Numbers, which is the fourth book of the Torah. So Korah, the son of Izzah, the son of Koath, the son of Levi. So he was a Levite. What were the Levites? Well, the sons of Aaron were the priests. The Levites were those that would do all the priestly duties, like as in carrying the tents and all that sort of stuff. They were there to help Aaron's descendants, you know, in the priesthood. And certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab and On, son of Peleth, became insolent and they rose up against Moses. Now, the setting here is they're in the desert. They've just come through the Red Sea. He parted, the Egyptians got destroyed, but they can travel through. This is Israel, God's people, right? They're in the desert. It's been, I don't know how many years by this stage, but they're within that four-year period. Now, these men were the uh, part of the Israelites. These were Levites. So they were actually you know, honoured among the people of that community. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders. So these well-known community leaders, because there's, there's a large community. It was as, as large as the population of Adelaide. It's a huge community. It's like a city of Adelaide moving across the desert, you know, in tents. It's just a huge 
number of people. So to be well known in that community would be like be a celebrity in Adelaide. You know, someone who speaks on the news every night or something. You know, everyone knows him, a well-known figure. So with them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. So they were high, high-level leaders. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron. Now we can really listen carefully to what they say here. They said to Moses and Aaron, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy. They decided the whole community is holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? They say to Moses and Aaron, God's appointed. Why do you two set yourselves above? As if they appointed themselves. Forgetting, they saw God part the Red Sea. They see Moses go into the tent and God come down. They forget that. They said, who do you think you are to put yourselves above us? We're holy. Why are they saying they're holy? Because they're God's people. God opened the sea for us. We must be holy. But in their rebellion, they were in not just sin, they were in a deep level of sin because their sin is now against God. Because when God's appointed two men to lead a community and they rise up against those two men, they're rising up against God. So these holy men were chronic sinners, but they called themselves holy men. Well, they were holy, I should have said these holy men. These men considered themselves holy. Are we in a similar position in the church? Where the church thinks it's so holy. They actually think they're so holy that they think that the rapture, when it occurs, the church is going to go up uh, and it's going to happen before the tribulation, leaving poor old Israel to, to, on their own. And, yeah, and they think that the church is going to go up and have a wedding feast, a wedding supper with the Lamb while Israel is down here getting slaughtered. That's how holy the church thinks it is. But they don't realise they're wretched, pitiful, naked, poor and blind. What did I just quote? What scripture? Do you know? Sure. Let's go to Revelation 3. Uh, keep your finger in numbers. I don't know numbers. This is what God, through Jesus Christ, who is God, said to the church of Laodicea, who many um, scholars have considered to be the, the, the church of the last days, because these seven churches can be viewed in many different ways. One of the ways we can view the seven churches is seven periods of church history throughout the last 2,000 years, which means that the church of Laodicea being the seventh one, uh, could be referring to this. And if you read the description of the Church of Laodicea, it does uh, describe the modern church to the letter. Let's have a look at it. Revelation 3, verse 14. Verse 14. And it says this, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So who's that? 
who's that? He's referencing himself as Jesus Christ, the ruler of God's creation, the Amen, the faithful and true witness. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth, prosperity preaching. And do not need anything. That's what they teach. You can have an abundant life now. You know, Jesus died to give you an abundant life, says Joel Osteen. He's preaching this. He's a, he's a Laodicean preacher. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's the quote. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. See, that is what we need, guys. We need white clothes to wear to cover our shameful nakedness. Because I know as a Christian, I've been a shameful Christian for many years. Until I realized that God requires holiness of me, I had to change. I had to change. And I'm still changing. I'm still changing. God's still got a lot of work to do in me. I need these white clothes to wear to cover my shameful nakedness and the self to put in my eyes so that I can see. We need salve in our eyes so that we can see. Who knows we get blind? Who knows we go blind for the week? Who can spend two, three, four days forgetting about Jesus altogether or very minimal remembrance of Jesus? We go blind. We get focused on the world. We don't see that from a heavenly perspective. We forget about Jesus. And we can get very cold. And we can harden our heart. And we can get lost in that. We need the self of God's anointing oil on our eyes so that we can see and that we can see continually. You should wake up every morning and say, Lord, put self on my eyes so that you can see from, from a spiritual perspective, of course. And then he says this, and this is how the comfort comes in through Jesus Christ. Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline. Isn't that nice? Isn't it better to be rebuked and disciplined here on earth and get our life right now and get to heaven and get rebuked and disciplined and get thrown out of the kingdom because we never received it here on earth. Receive change and correction in yourself today. Get right with God today. Do it right from this moment forth. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and eat with me. He's knocking on your door. Let him in. Let him in. And keep letting him in. Because we can let him in one day and lock him out the next. And people say, how do you do that? Just want to get that. You know? Squeezing him out of the morning prayer. In the sense of don't do it. You know? Go through the day and come to lunchtime and you, you scoff your sandwich and go, oh, uh, thanks for that, God. You know, he's the last, last thing you think about it. Things. You know what I mean? I, I know, I can say this from experience. I can say it from experience. I know what it's like. But we have to change. We have to change and get committed to God completely and totally. 
And this is what he says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Did you know the greatest promise out of the seven churches comes to the church of Laodicea? Why do you think that is? Because I believe that the church of Laodicea is the greatest opposition in the history of the church, in the sense of distractions. For us to be a committed Christian in today's world is the toughest thing you can imagine. Because everything is pulling us to be the other way. Like if you're watching, you know, scientific documentaries, they're telling you there's no one. So that's one issue that we have all the time. Then we've got the issue of distractions. You know, computer games are pulling us here. The, the YouTube is pulling us to watch all these crazy videos. And movies and the theatres and, and dinner nights and coffee time. And, and you know what I mean? There's so many things that lure us away. Our sports our interests, our hobbies, and all of these things are distractions designed to keep us from God. So the greatest promise will come to an overcomer in this age. And even though there's more people on the planet possibly than ever in history, potentially, yep, I would say that's true, yep, um, I would say there's probably fewer going to find Jesus and live the right way than ever in history. But I could be wrong, and I hope I am. <laughs> I really do. But the distractions are strong. Who, who will agree with me in that? Who agrees? Put your hand up if you agree that the distractions are terribly strong. They're trying to tear us from Christ. Amen? Let's understand how the enemy's working here. Let's understand it, and let's keep putting Christ first, put Jesus first in everything. So he says, this is the greatest promise of all. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Wow. He must have a big throne. I know, who, who, who would like to sit with Jesus on his throne? Who would like to get into the kingdom? And on that day when, you know, uh, all of creation uh, are before Christ, that Christ looks at you and says, come up here, come up here, my son, and sit with me. And you go up and sit with Jesus, and with him. What an awesome privilege, what an honour, what an honour, that's what we should be aiming for. Because at that moment when you're standing in judgment day and you're looking out and you're going, everything else in my life is meaningless. This is what it's all about, this was the truth all along, and I I ignored it for so many, many years, but I'm so glad that I committed myself to him completely because he's now calling me out to sit with him on his throne. Wow, wouldn't that be awesome to know you're with Jesus, you've passed the test, you're on the throne, you're an overcomer, and you've, you've, you're there, you know what I mean? You're there, you're in the kingdom, it's eternity now. I will never die again. I will never suffer sickness, ill health again. Pain will be gone. I'll never cry again. Your, your life from that moment forth, you, you just have the optimism imagine how you feel like, wow, what can I do with eternity? And Jesus says, just keep looking at me and I'll, you're going to have the most amazing life. Amazing life. Amen. 
And we'll just go to this last bit. Just as I began to sit down with my Father on his throne, just as Jesus is on the throne with the Father, we'll sit on the throne with Jesus and the Father, of course. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, who has an ear here? Open it up, make sure it's open. Eyes off for the eyes. White clothes, cover our shameful nakedness. We've got to do this, we've got to do this, and it's got to be real in our life. It's got to be followed up every single moment, every single day. Amen. Let's go back to Korah and this rebellion back in Numbers chapter 16. Korah and his, and his horde came to Moses and Aaron, and he said, You have gone too far. Everyone got that part? The whole community is holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? Now, get what Moses did here. He said, when Moses heard this, he fell face down. I find that interesting. Whether it was a custom of the day or what. But this guy came and stood there with an assembly of men. And he stood there and he's, he must have been pretty fierce. You know, because he's a man of... Probably a well-spoken man, probably a very bold, confident man, and he's probably a big dude. And he stood there, and he said these things to Moses. And Moses, instead of like going, "Okay, then fuck Moses, let's get him out," he falls down. He falls to the ground. Do you know what that's symbolic of? That's meaning he's like going, "God, oh, God." You know, I can't believe you're doing this. Don't do this, Corinth. Don't do this. Don't do this. Please don't do this. Because Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth, the Bible tells us. The most humble man. His heart for Korah would be for Korah to repent there and then and turn and say, Guys, what are we doing? This is God's anointed. It's clear, isn't it? But Moses fell down. He, he, he would have pleaded with him because it's, it's throughout. There's, there's a few times we got on the white man. Israel because they were just so simple. Fervorous thing from being the holy assembly that Korah's talking about. Does that remind you of the church? They've made a new name for Christians today. They call them carnal Christians. As if to say, oh, I'm a carnal Christian. You know, that means I can't, you know, uh, live without sin. I have to sin. I'm a carnal Christian. But God saved me anyway. So they're standing there, they're saying that they're holy. And Moses falls on his face. He fell face down. And then he said to Korah and all his followers, he got up and he obviously goes, okay. He said, in the morning the Lord will show you who belongs to him and who is holy. In the morning, it's going to be on Korah. And he will make that person come near to him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. Now if I was Korah right then, Knowing that Moses frequently goes into the tent of meeting and, 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 and sits with God, I would have immediately, when Moses said those words, I would have gone, okay, we know that God's with you, Moses. You know what I mean? But we don't know the ins and outs of this. Maybe there was a year or two where God's manifest presence wasn't as strong as it was in the years past, maybe. Who knows? And Korah and his followers maybe hadn't seen what Moses' relationship with God was like for a while. But whatever the case, Korah didn't back down. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. 
You, Cora, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers, and tomorrow put fire and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You, Levites, have gone too far. And then Moses also said to Korah, Now listen to you, Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too. Because Aaron had the priesthood. It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. And then, this is what I was saying before, who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Who is Aaron? Who is Moses? Except that God's anointed. But when you come rise up against God's anointed, you're rising up against God. Now, I'm not saying that as if no one can rise up against me. Some, some ministers of the past have used that uh, reference in referencing uh, rising up against the pastor or something like that. If I preach the word truly and hold to the word, you guys will know it and you will go, yes, God preaches the truth. If Rob starts preaching false doctrine, rise up against me. Amen? Keep me, keep me honest. You know, any man of God who will say that every word that comes out of his mouth is, is, you know, can't be questioned is crazy. Can't say that sort of stuff. You've got to be open for questioning. I'm not going to be like the darkness of the scientific community. You, you can't question this theory, it's an accepted fact now. That's crazy, it's not accepted. What about when he speaks? You know, yeah, always going to be No, no. Side issue. Side issue, but yeah, same thing. That, that's how they get their authority. Okay. Can anyone remember what verse I'm up to? Uh, 12. 12. So then Moses summoned Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of the land, flowing with milk and honey, to kill us in the desert, and now you also want to lord it over us? So for some reason they got in their heads that Moses was trying to lord it over them. Moreover, you haven't brought us into the land, flowing with milk and honey, or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards, Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? No, we will not come. So then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not accept their offering. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged any of them. Moses knew he hadn't done a thing to these guys. What it was was they were coveting the priesthood. They wanted what Moses and Aaron had been given. They wanted that position, they wanted to dethrone them and then put Korah up there as Moses and Abram or Dathan up there as Aaron. Yeah, they were jealous. They were just jealous, that's all it was. So then Moses said to Korah, you and all your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow. You and they and Aaron, each man is to take his censer and put incense in it. 250 censers is in all and present it before the Lord. You and Aaron are to present your censers also. So each man took his censer, put fire and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord 
appeared to the entire assembly. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from this assembly so that I can put an end to them at once. Because he was so sick of it. Because it wasn't just poor and his, the men, but it was the whole Israel assembly were rising up against Moses and Aaron. They were all despondent with, with Moses and Aaron. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out, O God of the spirits of all mankind, O God, God of the spirits of all mankind, will you be angry with an entire assembly when only one man sins? Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the assembly, Move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, Move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of all their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. Wouldn't that be a freaky moment? They all pitched tents next to each other, and suddenly the tents are going down, and they're unpegging them, and they're moving away. And Dathan and Abram and Korah are standing there going with their families and their followers, and they're going, what's going on here, poor man? And God's over there. See his presence, his cloud coming down on the tabernacle. Nathan and Abram had come out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrances to their tents. Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. He wanted to prove, I didn't choose this. God chose me to be this person. If these men die a natural death and experience only what usually happens to men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. They're powerful words coming out of Moses' mouth. I will be packing it. I'll be like running from the tents and I'm getting away from these tents. But he obviously still thought, we're a holy people. God would never destroy us because we're holy. As soon as he finished saying this, get this, as soon as he finished, so the words were just just got out of Moses' mouth. They just dropped out to heaven. And then as soon as they finished saying this, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all of Korah's men and all their possessions. They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned and the earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. And at their cries, all the Israelites around them fled shouting, the earth is going to swallow us too. Why do you think they run, run away saying the earth is going to swallow us too? Because these people also have been convinced that Moses and Aaron were no good because of Korah. But they weren't the ringleaders of it. They were just those people that sort of swallowed the lie. Now what the Bible tells us that that's an example. And I'm just going to show you where. In Jude, Jude 11, just quickly go forward to Jude 11. Jude 11, woe to them. And he's talking against those people that speak against celestial beings that come in and deceive the church, the brothers, false brothers, false deceivers, and they, they teach that grace is a license for immorality. Um, 
and all those sort of things. And he says they um, that that these things they understand basically like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. Uh, Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. It says in verse eleven, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, and they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. See, men today and in the church will go down into the same grave that Korah went down into if they stand up against the truth of God's word. If they teach false doctrine in church, if they deceive masses of people to believe in lies, they will go the very same way. Amen? Okay, we better we better finish this now. Who's read that story before about Korah? Pretty freaky story. All right, let's let's pray, and then I'll. Um, I've got my phone, my sermon. Well, thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that your Spirit uh, is with us now as we go into this week. Uh, cover us with your precious blood, Lord. And bless everything that takes place in our week. Help us to become uh, a people that uh, have our eyes fixed on you, that we um, have that sound in our eyes so that we can see. Help us to hear with our ears and uh, help us to live that life uh, uh, sinlessly in the sense of by the Spirit, Lord. We know that in our own strength we cannot live a sinless life. But if we follow the leadings and the promptings of the Spirit, we will uh, live a sinless life by your power, not by our own power. So help us, Lord, to walk by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to follow and keep in step with the Spirit. Because your word says that you will keep us from falling. Help us, keep us from falling, Lord Jesus. Most pray your blessings on uh, everything that takes place in all of us. Uh, help us to um, become the Christians that we've been born to be, that we were created to be, and so that our example will influence others to come to know you also. So be with us this week, Lord, and uh, bless everything that takes place. Give us the power to overcome all sin and troubles and hardships that are going to confront us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com. You'll see a number of different sermon series Uncovering Religion, Truth, Judgment, and Eternity, Apologetics 101, Critical Doctrine, and End Times. Feel free to check them out.